Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us through your word. And Lord, your word is life, and I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words on a page or things that we hear and are unchanged by, but Lord, that your word would take root in our hearts and renew our minds and change us, even this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I struggle a little bit with preaching at the moment. Because I suppose it's my perception that I think things need to change. And I don't want to be part of the problem by preserving a status quo. You know that whole cliche of people hear something and then you leave and they say, lovely sermon, vicar. And I don't want sermons to be like the equivalent of, I don't know, a word for today. I like word for today, by the way, UCB notes if you use them. I think they're nice. But you know what I mean? When there's this just, just malaise about what we do. We have a service. Maybe we liked a song that week. Or we liked the sermon, it was great. But it just props up our life as it is. And I suppose it's my conviction that something has to change. Otherwise, we're in dire straits, aren't we? When we look at the world that we're living in, we look at events in the world, you know, extremes in the political sphere, uh, wars, you know, alternative belief systems, religions, the, 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 the rise of, I don't know, uh, in, uh, engagement in the occult, things like that. It's not enough that the church just maintains what it's doing. Something in us has to be broken with the heart of God that actually, just as God saw the world was in dire straits and he sent his son Jesus, we are to likewise be broken for the world that we are in and like Jesus did, not that we can atone for the sins of the world like Jesus did, but like Jesus, we go into the middle of it and we actually see change because we're willing to sacrifice for the sake of God's love and for the sake of the world. And I think there comes a point where we have to stop saying lovely sermon vicar and attending services and just propping up what we're already doing because it just isn't working, is it, when we look at society around us. You know, there needs to be more people in here. The people that we know that don't know Jesus yet are going to hell currently. You know, if we don't believe that, then we're arguing with Scripture. So we have to kind of just get real with what we actually believe. And we need to be moved by that. If I have a relative or a close friend or work colleague that doesn't know Jesus, how can I be indifferent to that? The only reason I can be indifferent is if I don't really believe it. And if I don't really believe it, then what in the Bible do I believe? And if I don't believe the Bible, then where's the foundation of my faith? I'm just, I believe whatever comes into my head about God. And we all know that when we get there, it's not going to be the sum of all of our different opinions, don't we? So actually, Scripture grounds us. It's the revelation of God through Jesus, which is our best possible foundation and revelation. So when God says things through his word, we need the courage to believe it, but also for it to be a mirror like James says, that actually we look in that mirror and we see, right, this is where I'm at, and I know things need to change, Lord. And I think it's my greatest conviction as we look at this passage together, that we need to be undone by a revelation of God's love for me. And we say, don't we, I, I, you know, Jesus loves me, yes, I know the Bible tells me so. We say these things, but do I know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus loves me? Because the Bible shows us what it looks like when a life gets wrecked by the love of God. You see, don't you, Peter, who's just this, you know, fantastic man, this fisherman, this, you know, kind of butch, kind of man's man. And you see him undone by the love of God. He's just wrecked by the love of God. You know, he's let Jesus down. The cock crows, he denies Jesus. And a man says to another man, do you love me? 
And he says, yes. Three times, Jesus says, do you love me? You know, we sometimes people say, like, oh, the, the church is too feminine, or, you know, what, why aren't there more men in the church? Well, guess what? Whether you're a man or a woman, Jesus asks you, do you love him? And you need to respond, yes, Lord, I love you. So if you think that's feminine, you've got to argue with Jesus. Because what he wants is an emotive relationship with you, whether you're a man or a woman. And Jesus says to this butch man, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And then he is God's man of power for the hour, used in an incredible way to bring people to know Jesus. The woman with the alabaster jar has this revelation of God's love that just hits her like a tsunami. She's completely overwhelmed. She assumes that she's nothing. She looks in the mirror and she sees someone that ought to be rejected. Um, She despises herself probably. And Jesus looks at her with eyes of perfect love and just the revelation of his kindness to her so wrecks her that she can't help but weep at his feet and dry his feet with her hair and just worship him with such abandon that it embarrasses the religious people around Jesus that just simply don't get it because they're in bondage to religion and they don't see that this man is the son of God. And we need a revelation of God's love that God is so good and he loves me even though I'm a muppet, even though I make mistakes, even though I'm unbelievably selfish, he still loves me with such a passion that actually I can learn to love myself. And when I look at the mirror, I can see someone that God loves Someone that he looks at me and he says, it doesn't matter what your mate says. It doesn't matter that you got, you know, jilted by that person or your best mate betrayed you or your colleagues are gossiping about you. But actually, I look in the mirror and I say, wow, you're someone that God loves. You're the apple of his eye. You are love with all the passion of eternity. That the love God has for you drove him to become you. And that's, you know, where we start, really. It's all about, it was 2.5. We were going to do a bit of 2 as well, but it seemed like a really long reading, so we, we just read Hebrews 3. But the point is that it's all about Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And we're fixing our thoughts on this one who loves us completely. And actually, if you read the passage before in you know, Hebrews 2, it shows that he became you. He became like you, became a human being, because he saw the state that we were in. If we read in Genesis, we read about a world, an experience, uh, this euphoric, amazing place called Eden, where, where people got to walk up close and personal with God without shame. And God told them not to do one thing. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you'll surely die. And when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin became part of human DNA. Literally, it became like this poison that infected all humankind and has done ever since. And sin became literally part of our genetics. Uh, We were never meant to experience death. We had access to the tree of life where we could eat of that and live forever. But after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin and darkness became part of human DNA, God basically banished Adam and Eve from the garden because he said, if they are allowed to stay, then sin lasts forever. Unless I banish them from Eden darkness and evil and fear and hate will last forever. So Adam and Eve, having put themselves into bondage to rebellion against God, were banished from the garden. But because Adam, because God loves you so much, because God loves me so much, he didn't want to leave me in bondage to sin, like part of, literally part of my being, darkness. And so God, in Jesus, came and he became you. 
Scripture actually says that he became our sin on the cross. He became you and then he became your sin. And when you look in the mirror, you can see someone that is so loved by God that actually he became you. He became as a little baby and he made himself so vulnerable that his own creation had to look after him. Mary had to bring him up, look after him. And he lived the life that you and I were meant to live. Scripture refers to him as like the second Adam, the last Adam. He reversed the rebellion that Adam and Eve committed. Every time that Adam and Eve and everyone since has said no to God, Jesus said yes as you. And every time you and I have said yes to the devil and destruction and evil, Jesus as you said no to those things. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died as your substitute, having said no every time you were meant to say yes having said yes every time you were meant to say no, and making himself that pure scapegoat that he was able to represent you without the devil pointing and saying there is sin in that one. It's interesting that when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he made this comment. He said, the devil has nothing in me. In other words, there's nothing in my heart that the devil can hook into because I've never said yes to him and I've never said no to the Father. There was nothing in him that invalidated him as your substitute on the cross. So when he died on the cross, he did so as you but without sin, reversing every wrong decision we've made. And he became your sin. He literally took in himself every beating, every rejection, every time you got dumped, every time you got you know, made redundant, and every time you did horrible things to other people. And on a cosmic level, all the fallout of angels, all the wars throughout the ages, it's like he absorbed those things in his body on the tree and defeated them. And that's why he's the point, because he's that good. And actually, because he did that, if we give our lives to Jesus, the power of sin finally gets broken. Now, you and I know that we still mess up. We still make mistakes, don't we? But we are no longer, if you are a born-again Christian, you've given your life to Jesus, you are no longer in bondage to sin. And that means that you can go to heaven when you die, because you don't take it with you. If you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you take with you the bondage of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You take with you the very sin that meant that Adam and Eve had to leave Eden so that it didn't last forever. And if you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's like you're going to the gate of heaven with this thing called sin and expecting to get in with it. And that's why it's so important that we give our lives to Jesus because then he takes this away from us so that we can get in without it. But if we turn up at the door with this and trust in our own abilities to be right with God, He'll say, I can't let that back in. Look what I went through the first time in order that that couldn't last forever. We have to give our lives to Jesus so that sin can be dealt with in us and so that we have the hope of eternal life. Now, when we get that perspective, it stops us faffing around with religion because religion is basically attending services, blah, 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 try try and be a good person and effectively just be like anyone else. If we believe the Bible, then the world is in dire straits. There are lots of people currently going to hell. Lots of people haven't heard about Jesus. And lots of people, including Christians, don't know that they know that they know that God loves them so much. This passage shows us that if we fix our thoughts on Jesus, then actually everything can come right. Where do we learn about Jesus? We learn about Jesus in Scripture. And if we read the Bible, we see the God revealed in Jesus, and we see what God is really like. He's the God that lets little children bounce up and down on his knees. When little children came to Jesus to be blessed, the disciples were like, no, no, he doesn't have time for children. And Jesus said, no, bring them to me. 
because these are the ones that I love. And unless you're ex- prepared to accept me like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. When I look into, I've got a four-year-old now, Charlotte, and when I look at her and she looks up at me and giggles and laughs and things, I, I see holiness. It, it, it's holy. You know, when you see a little child look at you with love and acceptance and vulnerability, I see, I see holiness. It reminds me of uh, an Adrian Plass story. Adrian Plass said that uh, he told this story of how he was at some sort of fate or fair, and there was a bouncy castle, uh, and obviously as normal as a sign saying, you know, this is only for people under, you know, 10 or whatever it is, so all the adults can't go on it. But then he said there was a, like a lunch break when the, the turnstile keeper, the person watching it, wasn't there anymore, and the kids weren't there. And he said he saw as some adults, it was like spring harvest, it was meant to be, it was like a Christian event, some adults just jumped on it and went ballistic and went mental on this bouncy castle. But he said he noticed this one person that looked very formal, very well-dressed, and he went up, and he didn't go ballistic like everyone else, but he watched from a distance. But then over time, he got closer to it, and then, and then he sort of prodded the edge of it and sort of with his finger and pushed it. And then he sort of sat on the corner of it and sort of moved up and down a little bit. And then a little while later, he took his shoes off, his laces off, and put them nicely on the side, and then took his jacket off. And then there was this one really odd moment where he suddenly went ballistic himself, and it was just like this odd thing. And Adrian Plass's revelation was he needed to take his shoes off because this was holy ground. As much as we want God to be as insecure and pompous and religious as we are, he won't be. And so when he says, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground, a bouncy castle is a place of holiness because there's no room for insecurity, no room for fearing man, no room for worrying about what I look like, what other people think of me, no room for furrowed brows and pompousness. It's just a place where you're just there as you are. And either people accept you or they don't. You make yourself vulnerable. And that's holy ground. That's the place where you just trust God as you are, without all your credentials and achievements, without all your do-gooding. It's just a place where you just are who you are. And in that place, you are vulnerable. And it's a holy place. And the message of the Bible, the message of this man, Jesus, who died on the cross, is that if you will allow yourself on that bouncy castle to be naked before God, to be as you are, far from rejecting you and despising you and saying you don't make the cut, he will look at you with eyes of love and he'll say, you know what, I died for you. When I went through Gethsemane, I did that for you. Every pain you've suffered, every fear of rejection, I, I, I dealt with that for you. I love you. I did that for you. Not just the person next to you. Not just that other Christian that's got it all together. I did it for you. I love you that much. I'm so passionately in love with you. And that's the revelation of the Bible, that God loves you with such a passion that he hung on a cross for you and he loves you. And I just think that in the Christian world, there's so many of us, including myself, that haven't, haven't quite got that God loves us so much. And until we really know what God is like, and until we really know how much he loves us, there's such a limit on our lives. There's such a limit on what we can do, such a limit on how we can serve him, how much fruit we'll see in our lives. That's why we have to get into God's word. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. God is faithful. God is kind. God is light. He's a good father, yesterday, today, and forever the same. We need to get a revelation of what God is like, the God of Jesus. And then we need a revelation of how he sees us, that he loves us. And then we need to respond appropriately in faith to that same love. If you know that you know that you know that the God of heaven died on a cross to set you free from sinful DNA so that you could get into heaven, 
just you know, standing like we're in a civic ceremony, like just worshiping God, it just doesn't cut it, does it? You know, and actually, if we think that God is the only answer to the world's problems and we're not crying out in intercession on our knees, we've just got one leg over the other and it's like, Lord, please bless Syria, amen. We're not getting it. And I'm not being mean, I'm just saying we need, we need a reality check, don't we? We have to look at the Bible, we have to look at the travail of God's people, the Holy Spirit groaning inwardly. Unless we get that, we're just going through the motions. I had to preach on giving this morning, contrary to my will, because we had a gift day. I'm not a big fan on speaking on giving, but I did. And quoted that passage, those who sow sparingly reap sparingly, those who sow bountifully reap bountifully. And it's not just in the area of giving. If we sow sparingly in worship, in prayer, in telling people about Jesus, then we're, we're going to reap indifferently, aren't we? But if we give all we've got in worship, if we jump on that bouncy castle, if we really believe that he is who he says he is, if we really believe that he loves us this much, and if we really believe that unless people know about Jesus, they're not going to get into heaven because they're carrying this with them, not this, but sin in their DNA, then actually we're just going to go through the motions, aren't we? I really want you to get hold of the fact that God's word is true, that God is so kind, he loves you with such a passion, And I want you to believe that so much that something happens in your life that means it's different tomorrow. Not lovely service, Vicar. Not just going through the motions. Not just word for the day. Not just preservation of the status quo. But actually, God rocks our world. So we rock a world which is in desperate need, not of religious people. It's in desperate need of a God who is real, who will reveal himself through his church. Otherwise, what hope is there for my daughter Charlotte, what hope is there for any of us unless God is real and he wants to change the situation? So many people must be looking at the world thinking, well, God obviously doesn't care then. But God has given authority to his church to change things. One of the other things Jesus did that talks about in Hebrews 2 is that Jesus restored that creation mandate. God gave authority to men and women to rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Adam and Eve had a mandate to rule over the created world. When they submitted to Satan, it's like that authority went to Satan, the prince of the air, as Scripture called him. And Jesus talks about saving us from the power of Satan, the one that holds the power, or at least the fear that goes with death as a consequence of our sin. And when Jesus said, go into all the world to preach the good news, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And he's taken back the reins, and he's releasing that creation mandate through his church that we are called to rule and reign. So we're called to go into the world and be part of the solution. Part of the problem is that we don't get that. So as Christians, we, we think of ourselves like the thief on the cross. You know, just as long as I say Jesus is Lord, then I'll get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. It's not meant to be like that for a Christian who's been a Christian for 30 years. You're not the thief on the cross. You've got a mandate to rule and reign and to grow in maturity as a disciple and to change the world. You know, we're not the thief on the cross. It's not just good, oh, thank goodness I got in. We're meant to have confidence that God wants to use us. He has a plan for our life that God actually wants to use you in an incredible way, whether you're nine or 99. And Jesus has restored that. He's made it possible not only for us to get into heaven by the skin of our teeth, but actually that while we're on this earth, he wants to restore the creation mandate to us in Christ, who's got all authority in heaven and on earth, that we go into the world and that we actually bring about his change in power in situations. Wouldn't that be exciting if he did that through your art project? Wouldn't it be exciting if he did that through your you know, your biology degree, your being a doctor, 
through your kind of like writing some amazing piece of literature that would change the world. Wouldn't it be amazing if that creation mandate, combined with the gifts he's given you, combined with the revelation of his goodness and his love for you, means that through your life, in whether the political or public or charitable sectors or whatever you do with your life, or in the home just by being an amazing dad or mum, that actually you change the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that give us a reason to get up in the morning? Well, Jesus has made that possible, and that's why it's all about him. Because it's all about him, you know, and however well or not well I've been talking and sharing it, because these things are true, see to it. See to it that. Hebrews is sharing about the truths of who Jesus is. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's become like his brothers. He's become your sin. He's defeated the power of death. He's made it possible for you to join him in glory. Therefore, see to it that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like God's people did. It talks about a generation that God didn't allow to enter into the promised land because they fell foul of this. They didn't trust in God's word. They didn't believe that God was who he says he was. They didn't see themselves as God saw them. Do you remember the Israelites that thought that they were like grasshoppers? You know, they were tiny. They, they couldn't, you know, they just didn't believe who God said that they were. God saw that they, he believed that, God said that they were giants, but they wouldn't believe it. And they hardened their hearts in unbelief. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. We heard this passage, the words are on the screen, you can see. And I've just underlined the bits, that, that things for us to avoid in that passage. So, don't harden your heart. See to it that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the Lord. But encourage one another daily. So let's encourage one another, shall we? That God is amazing and he loves you. That you've got what it takes. That you can live a rock and roll life that God wants to use the gifts he's given you, that God wants to change the world through you, that God loves you passionately even when you don't love yourself. He loves you passionately even when what you see in the mirror you don't like. He loves you so, so much even when everything else tells you that it can't be that way. It still is. That's how much he loves you. Encourage one another and hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. The confidence we had at first. If we just think we're like the thief on the cross, it's just enough I get in. Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. I'm not sure that will sustain you for two, three, four, forty, fifty years as a Christian. We need to believe that God has called us to change this world so that we're growing. We're meant to be transformed from glory to glory, as the scripture says. You know, that by the you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit we become more like Jesus, not just getting into heaven by the skin of our teeth. Let's not settle for this odd notion that actually I'm just here and thank goodness I've given my life to Jesus, I'm going to get into heaven when I die. But actually God wants to use us in a powerful way because he is good, he does care, he does love the world and he wants to use you. Hebrews is interesting because it's not just the passage I've been given. It's, it's, it's a book that's got several warnings in it. Can you make it go on for me? It's not doing it because I'm telling it to. So we've got this one, the passage that I've been given where it talks about doubting the word through a hard heart. But actually, you know, they all begin with, with D so that we can remember them. There's different ways that Hebrews warns us about not believing God's word and aligning with it, drifting from the word of God, neglecting it. Hebrews 2. You can look these verses up later if you want to. But actually neglecting the word of God. We need to engage with the word of God. You know, don't just settle for a word for today, one line of scripture and then a nice passage. Although word for today is brilliant, so don't like 
throw away your UCB notes. I think they're good. But we need to get into the scriptures. We need to read the word of God. And we need to read them not as a Pharisee. Jesus said this amazing thing. He said to the teachers of the law of Pharisees, he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them that you find life. But they testify to me and you refuse to come to me that you would have life. So it's actually possible to read the Bible and completely miss the point. He says, read the Bible wanting to encounter me, not as an academic study, but read it because you want to encounter the God of the Word, the living God. And if you do that, you'll get something out of it. So don't fear the Bible because it's too complicated. You know, see it as a love letter from God to you. And when you read it, pray as the psalmist said, Lord, open my eyes that I behold the wonders of your law. Or the prayer to the church in Ephesians, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. I want to know you, that I'd know the hope to which you've called me, the riches of your inheritance in me, that I'm your child, that you love me, that you've saved me from death and you've given me a place in the Father's house with its many rooms, that I can know you in eternity and now you've got a work for me to do. And read the Bible with that faith. And if you read it with that faith, then you won't doubt the word and harden your heart. If we don't believe that God is good, we will harden our hearts. If the image of God that we get in church or in life groups or Christian unions is anything other than the God Jesus revealed, we're going to doubt him. Any other image of God other than the one Jesus revealed. I remember someone saying once that whatever drops into your mind when you first think about God is the most important thing about you. Whatever drops into your mind when you first think about God is the most important thing about you. Who is the God that you really believe in? When you think about what comes into your mind, if the thought that came into your mind terrified you, <laughs> deal with it quickly. You need the God of love revealed in Jesus to come into your mind when you think about him. If an indifferent God who's unmoved by human suffering or a policeman or someone with a big stick that wants to beat you comes into your mind, you need to get rid of that God quickly and receive the God of Jesus. What's the most important thing about you? It's what comes in your head when you first think about God. Dullness towards the word, sluggishness that we, we read about later in Hebrews 5 and 6. Despising the word, willfully sinning. We don't just confess our sins in a service, but actually we need to keep a short account with God that when we get in an argument with a spouse or a friend, that we confess it quickly. When we get cut up on the road and we're angry with the person that did it, that we forgive them quickly. Because it's like it builds up. All the resentment, all the offense, all the sin, it like builds in our life. And then, and then we don't want to worship God because we come into church and we've got all this stuff between us and God. And then we can't even get to him because there's all this unconfessed sin of when we had a go at someone earlier in the day. We need to not willfully sin and therefore despise the word. We need to deal with our sin issues quickly. And we need, we need to ask, we need to humble ourselves. I'm here to tell you that I have issues. <laughs> so, you know, if I can stand at the front and say I have issues, maybe that gives you permission to admit that you have issues too. And maybe you can meet with another Christian and say, I've got issues, can you pray with me? I really need help with this one. If there is some sort of willful sin area in your life that you're struggling to deal with, for goodness sake, get help with it. You know, come and speak to me if you want to. I won't be surprised. I won't judge you, whatever you say. You know, to pray with each other. So we finally get free and we finally make a difference. If you're in some sort of sin issue that's, you know, it's just ruining you from the inside, come and talk to me about it. Or share with Christians that you trust. 
And remember that they've got issues as well. <laughs> and if they say they haven't, they're lying. So, you know, let's all get vulnerable, but also do so in a trusting way that actually we're doing, you know, appropriately. You know, share with people that you trust, people that will help you and pray with you, that love you and that love God. Defying the word, refusing to hear the word. So you see these five warnings in Scripture. That's why a lot of people fear Hebrews. So it's good that you're doing a series on Hebrews. But some of these warnings of Scripture uh, people shy away from. But all of them about responding in the wrong way to what the word of God. So see to it then that we believe, that we trust that we obey God, that we believe that he is who he says he is, that we trust him. Scripture says that God isn't a man that he should lie. He really means what he says. And that we obey him. And why wouldn't we obey a God that loves us so much? So let's encourage one another. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 talks about God revealing himself through his son. Hebrews 12, 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. In other words, God has spoken through the scriptures. He is speaking to you and I, even tonight. What are we going to do about it? Let's allow God's word to transform us. Let's believe and trust remembering that he wants to enable us by giving us grace. He loves us so much. Hebrews 4, later in Hebrews 4, talks about him who, who, again, he became like us. He became vulnerable like us. He knows what we're going through. When we struggle with stuff, he gets it because he's been like us. He knows what it is to live a human life. He was tempted in every way that we are, but like I said, without sin. He never said no to God or yes to darkness. So we can come to him. He wants to enable us. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, receive mercy. And he also wants to equip us. He wants to equip us with everything good for doing his will. So this evening, let's get on board with the God of the word. Let's believe and trust him. But let's invest intentionally in growing in our walk with him, knowing that it's not enough to maintain the status quo. You know, the hour is too late in the day. And actually, we need to make this life, this one life we get, count. Whether you're on this life for another year or a hundred years, you know, make it count. God wants to enable us and equip us to do his will. He wants to use us as revolutionaries in a world that needs revolutionaries. And remember that there's so much about you. At Bible college, you know, the, the people that are known as pioneers are the ones that rock up wearing hoodies and want to plant churches in Starbucks. In my eyes, that's not pioneering. It's just being normal. It's just being contemporary. The pioneers are the ones that will get on their knees and cry out to God in the early hours of the morning because the world needs God desperately. The pioneers are the ones that will actually go and share Jesus even in the face of rejection. To look cool or to be cool isn't pioneering. To be vulnerable, knowing God's going to back you up and he's going to protect you if it all goes horribly wrong, that's pioneering. And we can all do that. You don't have to be young to do that. You can be 99 and be like that. Be a pioneer. Let's all be pioneers. Let's be people who will trust God, believe him, and obey him, and see him do incredible things through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Hebrews, and that it's such a challenge to us. It's not a lovely sermon vicar book. Lord, we thank you for those warnings of Scripture about not believing your word and not responding to it in the right way. Lord, we don't want to harden our hearts as that generation did who you kept from entering into the promised land. We want to be a generation of believers who love you. Lord, help us to see Jesus. It really is all about him. 
the one who's greater than Moses, greater than the angels, greater than Aaron, the high priest, and all the other people that he's seen to be greater than in Hebrews. Lord, give us vision to see you as you are. Give us vision to see ourselves as you see us. You love us so much. And Lord, as we see who you are, and we see how much you love us, give us vision for how you want to use us in our workplaces, in our colleges, in our schools. Even just when we're at home, or taking the dog for a walk. Show us how you want to use us through the power of your love to save people. That through us, you want to save the world all over again. Lord Jesus, you said it is finished. And that's true. And yet we still are living in a world which is marred by sin, ahead of your second coming. And Lord, we know that before you come again, there's work for us to do. We want to get on board with you in the harvest, seeing many people come to know you. Lord, would you excite us again this evening? You've not called us to a conventional or boring life. And excite us that it's very, very simple to be used of you. We just have to believe you, trust you, and obey you. Give us grace to do that, Lord, tonight, tomorrow, this week, and every day that we're in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.